0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and welcome to episode 116. On this episode, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to bring on an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine named Michael, who started off with single-family home investing and moved up into larger multi-unit properties. Generally speaking, we refer to that as multifamily real estate, but for all intents and purposes, we're talking about apartments. But I wanted to bring him on to give some contrast to investing in residential real estate, the one to four-unit properties. So, when we talk about multi-unit properties, we're talking about essentially two categories. There's the small multi-family properties, which are properties that contain 2, 3, or 4 units. And then we're talking about large multi-family properties, and those are typically properties that have 5 or more units. So, when we get into 5 or more units, we're typically referring to commercial properties, properties that don't qualify for residential or conventional financing anymore. Now you're talking about Commercial properties, they fall under different guidelines when it comes to financing. The appraisals are more complicated. They're certainly far more expensive. Inspections are different. They're more expensive. Everything with multifamily, meaning apartment or commercial based properties, are more expensive and more complicated. There are more moving parts. They're typically a slower transaction. They're taking longer escrows. So they have pros and cons. When you ask yourself the question, Where should I start or which is better? The answer almost always is it depends. There are many factors that go into that decision. Most people, and especially most people that we deal with as clients, are interested in and build portfolios of single-family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes. Often it's because they're more affordable, they're easier to understand, Financing options are better because you have 30 year loans instead of your 25 year commercial loans. 30 year fixed loans are exactly that. They're fixed at a particular rate, whereas the commercial loans that are amortized over the shorter 25 year period typically have five year terms. So at the end of that term, you essentially have to refinance that loan or extend or change the terms by renegotiating with the lender. So essentially, you're getting a new loan. Every five years with a shorter amortization period. Now, the calculations are still based over 25 years, but essentially you're having to go back and re establish the terms every five years. So, in very, very general terms, the, the pros, if you will, of multifamily investing is more possibility for cash flow. And that this is really a scalability thing, it's dependent upon the size of the property. Second is you have one loan, one mortgage that covers multiple units. Now, keep in mind, this is also true for two, three, and four-unit properties as it is for 50 and 100-unit properties. You also have one insurance policy. And these pros and cons are not necessarily big, big things or big deals. They are just factors to consider. So it's the difference of having, let's say, One insurance policy on a 20-unit building versus having, let's say, 20 insurance policies for 20 single-family homes or duplexes or, let's say, five fourplexes. The thing is, is it's not that big of a deal. You get the policy, you maybe revisit it once a year, you put it back in the file, it may be with the same insurance provider, so it's not that you're spending time every week or every month looking at or, or negotiating insurance. Certainly, multi-unit properties are more math-intensive, and they're certainly based on math and not emotion. But then again, neither should single-family homes. If you are involved in larger multi-unit properties, 50, 100-plus units, you're definitely talking about a business because there are more moving parts and you've got more management-intensive properties. So you're never looking at it as a hobby, but the bigger the scale, the more serious the investment is. And so it's always looked at as a business. The income valuation, when you are five units and above, is based on the net operating income of the property, which of course it is on single family homes and duplexes. But when it comes to the valuation, an appraiser is going to look at that net operating income to calculate the value, market value of that property With single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, they are based on the comparable sales approach by what other sales in the area have sold for. But with commercial properties, it's really a matter of looking at what the net operating income is and calculating that against the going cap rate or capitalization rate in the area. And I talk about that with Michael in the interview here, which you're going to hear shortly. Usually, there's less competition from homeowners because homeowners don't buy multi units or apartment buildings, but there's certainly a lot of competition in the apartment space. And there has been for years. Everybody, it seems, has been chasing after good deals in the commercial and apartment space. And that has really driven cap rates down. It's what we refer to as cap rate compression. So, those are some of the pros, if you will. The cons of multifamily investing. And again, very generally speaking, they're more expensive. This is, again, a relative term. If you're sitting on a pile of cash, this may be a good option for you. This is why the answer is it depends uh, whether it's right for you to go large multifamily, small multifamily, or focus on single family homes, or maybe a portfolio of single families, duplexes, fourplexes. But again, multifamily properties typically cost more than single family homes, And sometimes it's even true on a per unit basis. But again, it really depends on the location. They're certainly more management intensive. And once you get over 50 units, then you are having on-site management, resident agent or resident manager. And that's certainly true when you get to 80 to 100 units. You typically find investors are far more savvy who buy apartment complexes or larger multi-unit properties. And the competition is definitely far more savvy. So you're dealing with professional and savvy investors. So just be aware of who you're up against or who you're competing against when it comes to looking for those deals, negotiating those deals, and trying to find those deals. They're more complicated. Just understand that. I've talked about that already. Far fewer to choose from. As you get into larger and larger unit counts on a per property basis, you're going to find fewer and fewer and fewer properties that fall into that scale. So you're going to find millions of single-family homes, fewer duplexes, fewer fourplexes. And as you go up to 20, 50, 100, 300, 500 units, you're going to find fewer and fewer and fewer of those properties around in terms of numbers. Last but not least, government regulations. Whenever you invest in multifamily properties or you're raising capital related to funding that deal, you enter a whole new world of government regulations and dictates that cover raising capital and how you run that property in that local area. So you don't want to do anything wrong, and you want to do everything the right way, and you certainly have to rely on a good team around you. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on some things very quickly here just to give you some perspective, but we'll talk about that in greater detail here in just a minute with Michael, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. No one anticipates litigation, just as no one anticipates a car accident. Both just happen as part of life. And that means that asset protection is very necessary, but it can also be very affordable. Corporate Direct has protected literally thousands of clients over 30 years. And Corporate Direct, I'm proud to say, is one of our new sponsors. Corporate Direct is owned by author and attorney Garrett Sutton, who has written the bestsellers Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. And one thing I'll add is that Wyoming LLCs offer excellent asset protection, offer great privacy and great value. Wyoming LLCs are excellent parents for your other asset holding LLCs that you have in other states. And that's exactly how I have my asset protection plan set up. So it's critically important to have asset protection to protect yourself. Visit CorporateDirect.com for more information, or you can call them at 800-600-1760 for a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporation specialist. And if you mention this show, the Passive Real Estate Investing Show, receive $100 off every LLC or corporation you form. Again, visit corporatedirect.com for more information or call Corporate Direct at 800-600-1760 and mention this show. It's my pleasure to welcome Michael Blanc to the show. Michael is a full-time entrepreneur, an investor, and a coach. His main focus is multifamily real estate, and he currently controls over $65 million of multifamily assets around the United States. He's also helped students acquire over 750 units valued in excess of $27 million. And he's the author of Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And Michael lives in Northern Virginia with his wife and four children. So Michael, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Mark. I appreciate it.
0: It's great having you on. And I forgot to mention that you're a good acquaintance and a friend of mine you know, I got to know you here over the last year, having been on a couple of events, real estate related events. So I know that you're pretty heavily focused on multi-unit and apartments. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and where you came from and how you got into real estate?
1: Yeah. I mean, my background, Mark, was like many of us. It's I was taught to go to school, get good grades, get a good job with benefits. And that's exactly what I did. And I was never really surrounded by any kind of entrepreneurs. So I didn't really know this whole thing about entrepreneurship until you know, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in my case, I was in my early 30s. And i just been through a software IPO. I have a software background. I was in the right place, right time. And that IPO put a bunch of money in my pocket. And I was like, sweet, I'm pretty smart. And then I read this book. And I was like, don't, I'm such an idiot. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or what your salary is, how much passive income you're deriving. And I was deriving very little. And then I kind of changed course and really, really wanted to pursue this path of permanent financial freedom. I had a good amount of money, but not enough to sit on the beach for the rest of my life. And so my big idea at the time, which was obviously a bit misguided, is <laughs> was to plow my net worth into a series of franchise restaurants. I was surrounded by burger franchisees, and they said, oh, it costs this much to open. We're going to hire an experienced multi-unit operator, and we'll sit back and count the passive income. I was like, that's exactly what I was looking for. And so that was my big plan. I'll make a long story short. I subsequently lost my entire IPO net worth plus a couple hundred thousand dollars in unsecured debt. And I clawed myself out with real estate. And like so many people, did a variety of different ways, I wholesale. I flipped uh, three dozen houses and I did some apartment buildings and I eventually gravitated towards the multifamily. So that's my story in a nutshell.
0: You know, I, I've always said that restaurants are one of the toughest businesses to be in because you're married to it. You're there for a long day, late hours. It's a high-risk business. There's such a high turnover. I don't know, I just can't imagine being in the restaurant business. I don't know how you did it, but congratulations for being through that experience.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in my defense, it was set up as a passive investment. So kind of like what I was describing, it was set up, I'm going to be the investor. I have someone else managing for me. But in the restaurant specifically, it's very tough to be a quote, passive investor. I mean, with real estate in general, it's just a lot easier to be a past investor. But with restaurants, you just really can't. And then the recession obviously did not, did not help in that regard. So it was a pretty painful lesson all around.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you, you do mostly multifamily investing. And so that's what I would imagine small to medium sized apartments today. And why did you settle on multifamily investing? What brought you to that point?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I looked, like I said, I I flipped three dozen houses and I guess the cool problem was that I was making money doing it, but it wasn't as passive as I wanted it to be. I read all the books. I had my team set up and we were buying two houses per month. A lot of the houses I didn't even see because of that system, but it was still a very active, it was very highly active activity. And worse is when we did sell the house, we put a bunch of money in our pocket, but the money stopped flowing. There was no residual from that. And when I contrasted it to, I had a small apartment building, a 12 unit at the time, and that thing was just quietly sending me mailbox money every month. And I was like, daggone it. Why don't I just do more of these apartment buildings? And I hadn't seen that thing in like a year. And, and I was like, I should do more of this, these apartment buildings. And that's exactly what I did. I kind of slowly, as the market started to change in you know, 2012, 13, it was harder to do flips at the time. And I decided to kind of shift the majority of my resources to the multifamily. That's really why there's a bunch of other things, other reasons I like the multifamily as well. But that's kind of my my shift into multifamily.
0: Yeah, I think there's a certain percentage of people that make that shift from building a portfolio of single family homes. And then at some point in time, they get to 10, 20, maybe more single families and they start building up in terms of scale. They're doing duplexes, fourplexes, eight and 12plexes. And so for some people, it's a natural migration. You sound like you kind of skip that step, you didn't have a lot of buy and hold single families or did you? I I wasn't sure if if you said that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of buy and hold. I did have some, but you're right. I mean, people typically, they will start amassing a portfolio of some size. It could be five or 10. And and then they realize that it's going to take a, a lot more time to get to where they want to go. And if they got there, it's a challenge to manage portfolios of single family houses. And some do it. But I think you've got to make a conscious decision that that's what you want to do. What I liked about the multifamily was that the property management piece was kind of built into the business model. So what I mean by that, it's kind of unnatural for someone to self-manage a medium-sized, large apartment building. And on the other hand, on the, on the portfolio side, it's, it's kind of, you tend to kind of self-manage until you get a certain size. So with the multifamily, the passive component is kind of already built into the business model, which I liked. I also like the ability to control the value more. So with single family houses, as you know, it's all after repair value driven. And that, of course, is driven by the market. So you could have rental property that makes $1,000 in rent and one next door that's occupied by a family. It doesn't generate any income at all. And the value of those two houses is essentially going to be very similar. But with multifamily, as you know, with any commercial real estate is I control the value based on the income of it. So I can have a box... That's worth a million dollars. And right next to it could be an exact identical box that's worth 1.5 million. And the only thing that's different between the two is one produces more income than the other. So I could buy the $1 million box and through professional management over the period of one, two, three years, make it produce the income of the box next door. And now I can sell it for 1.5 million. Or better yet, I could refinance, pull the cash out of that, and then do it again. So I found I have more control over the value of that. Let's see what else. I can get financing for it. Unlimited financing, that's what's called non-recourse, meaning I don't have to personally guarantee a loan. And that's really, really awesome, not have to personally guarantee a loan. So those are some of the reasons why I liked multifamily. The other thing I liked is I could start small and then scale it at will. And my observation has been, let's say you can't wrap your head around the 10 unit, then you start with a duplex. Now, this Once you do a duplex, people that want to do a multifamily, then invariably, they will do a, not a duplex the second time around, they'll probably do a 10 unit. And the third deal is going to be around 25 units. And the next progression is 50 to 60. And at that point, you're at 100 plus. And it's just this phenomenon that allows you to scale in a very short period of time. And as I looked at my, all my businesses, I've done softwares, houses, multifamily, I kept coming back to the multifamily as, in my opinion, the best vehicle to become financially free, especially with real estate, which is the motivation behind uh, writing the book.
0: One thing you mentioned is about the value or market value of a property. And let's just explain that a little further, because when you deal with residential real estate, one to four unit properties, we're dealing with appraisals that are based on market comparables. And so it's what everything else is selling for. That's what determines the value. But with a multi-unit, meaning something that's larger than four units, it's based on the NOI, the net operating income. Explain how that determines the value because there's a percentage of listeners that understand this, but some don't.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, imagine you have an ATM machine, right? An ATM machine, as we know, produces fees for the owner and let's say an AT machine is sitting at a local grocery store, and that's it, a really high end grocery store. And if I were to ask, let's say that box produces $100,000 in income per year in fees, and I would ask people, hey, how much would you willing to pay for this? And someone would say, I'll pay a million dollars for that. And you would say, well, how'd you come up with that number? I says, well, if I pay $100,000, if I pay a million for it and it produces $100,000 per year, I get a 10% cash and cash return. And that's really attractive to me. I say, great. And I asked someone else, how much are you willing to pay for that? And I said, you know, I'm willing to pay $1.2 million for that. And I said, are you willing to pay higher? I said, well, 8% cash on cash is pretty good to me. And by the way, it's in a pretty good area. So I'm not going to be dealing with people trying to vandalize it or break it. And so what happens is in nicer areas, people are willing to pay more for an asset. And that multiple of income is essentially something called a cap rate, a capitalization rate. And this varies by asset type and also by location. So you see people paying, and it's an inverse relationship. So the lower the cap rate, the higher the value. And and so these cap rates—I don't want to confuse the listener—but these are basically multiples of the NOI, or the net operating income. And using the cap rate, which is well defined, and brokers typically you ask them, "Hey, what's the cap rate for multifamily around 20 units in this area?" Oh, stuff has been quote trading at a seven cap, right? Seven percent cap rate. And knowing that you can then simply apply that to the net operating income and come up with the value of a building. And this is what appraisers use to value the value of the building. So in the single family house, you you comps and in commercial real estate, you're really using income. It's a fairly well understood process.
0: Okay. So in your book, you talk about multifamily investing and you feel pretty strongly about it as a vehicle to become financially free. Kind of begs the question, why don't more people do it? Why don't more people get involved in large real estate? You know, 20, 50, hundred plus unit buildings.
1: Yeah. I mean, typically when I say, Hey, let me tell you what, let me show you how you can basically quit your job in the next one to three years. They go, yes. Tell me more. I said, you know what? It's with apartment buildings. And they go, Oh yeah, I've heard of that. That's a kind of advanced strategy. Right. And I do like real estate and let me do some single family house investing for the next five or 10 years. And I will then take that experience and the money I make and I'll roll that into apartment buildings. And that's a fine plan. A lot of people do it. And the truth, though, is that there's two main reasons people kind of put the pause button on the apartment building. And it's typically because they feel like they don't have the experience, so they feel they can get it through single-family house investing, which is partially true. And the other one is they don't have any money to put into apartment buildings, and so they think they can get it through investing in single-family houses. Again, these are all fine plans, but people have accelerated their plans by going directly into multifamily. And the truth is that you can overcome the experience very quickly in a matter of about. 30 days, you will appear to be much more experienced than you are. And you can overcome your lack of of cash or resources by learning the art and science of raising money. And again, that's something you can do in a relatively short order. And if you can do that, you've just now overcome the two main reasons that people don't get started with multifamily. And now you're in the game.
0: You just mentioned appearing experience. So explain that. Like, how do you appear more experienced than you actually are without actually having the experience?
1: Yeah, two ways. One is by educating yourself, and we threw things like cap rate around earlier. A cap rate is one of those things that's in kind of an insider language. It's like when you you start sailing, you don't call something a rope anymore. You have a special term for that. So you have to use special language. And when you don't use special language, and certainly this is why I did. I'd flip three dozen houses, and I thought I was pretty experienced. Yeah, and I wasn't using the insider language, and all of a sudden, brokers would ask me to send them my proof of funds, and they'll send me more information about the deal. And every time someone asks you for proof of funds, you just sound like a newbie. And that's what I was sounding like as well. So step number one is to educate yourself so you don't sound like a newbie. And then the second thing is build a team around you. So call the broker and say, oh, I'm, I said, I'm working with Sam over here. And you know, they, they manage XYZ property management company. And they go, oh, Sam, he's a great guy. Oh, And all of a sudden, you're talking about Sam and the 5,000 units they already manage. And now the focus is not on you. It's about the team that you've built around you. So when you don't have something, either cash or experience, then find people around you and talk to others in terms of your team. And so, you know, in our experience, people who do that are not asked for proof of funds and brokers do return their phone calls and 21-year-old people get awarded $10 million deals because of that. And this is without any kind of prior experience. So it's something that one can do in a very short period of time.
0: Yeah, and even if those people that have the experience are not partners of yours, they're not actually in the deal, you could probably bring them on as an advisor, your advisory board, and you can just not lie, but you could say, yeah, so-and-so, Michael Blanc, or whoever it may be, is part of my advisory council or my advisory team. And so they're part of the deal, but they're not technically a partner. Does that work?
1: Absolutely. Building an advisory board is yet another example of talking about yourself in terms of your team. So that's a great example of that.
0: Yeah, cool. So let's talk about the average person here. So someone wanting to get started in multifamily real estate investing, they don't have experience, they don't have maybe a lot of cash or even their own cash. How does the person get started? I mean, where's beyond educating themselves? So they've educated themselves. Now they're ready to go and they don't have the experience. Maybe they have some cash. Maybe they've got friends and family. What's the next step?
1: Yeah. So let's say they get educated. It could be my program or someone else's program, but really We advise people to do three things after that point. One is to learn how to analyze deals. That's a critical, fundamental skill to learn because you need it for everything else. You need it for improving your language. You need it to increase your confidence. Obviously, to make offers, you need to be able to analyze deals. And once you get something on a contract, you need to see when you're in due diligence, how what you find affects your deal. So analysis is very important. Number two, we talked about learning to build your team. So the idea is that you have your team ready to go on the ground before you put something on a contract. And number three is you start raising money. So there's a system for raising money. It's not complicated. Once you learn and see it, it's something you kind of go, oh my gosh, I can now raise money from people. And you start that process by intentionally building relationships with people and gently guiding the conversation to how enthusiastic you're about the uh, real estate thing. And really what you're doing is you're trying to get other people to raise their hand going, you know what, I'm really intrigued by what you're doing and i have the means to invest and i'm interested and the funny thing is that people with money they have at least three problems one is they're looking for a reliable return on their money and, and many just are uncertain about the stock market number 2 they want to do so with a reasonable risk profile again the uncertainty of the stock market some people are just not as comfortable with that and multifamily performed very very strongly during the last downturn and number 3 they pay too many taxes on the money they do make and so you as a multifamily operator can help people with means uh, to solve all three of those problems.
0: Right. That's a big thing right there. That's key because in the industry, the lingo we use is we're syndicators. You're syndicating deals. You When we've syndicated deals, we just finished two cannabis-related deals where we syndicated or brought private money in. The layman's term would be it's a group investment. You, you're you the principal. You're the sponsor. You put a deal together. You bring in outside capital. They're silent investors. They're private Money investors in the deal—they participate in the equity, they participate in the cash flow. But essentially, what you're talking about is what we refer to as syndications, and a lot of people, just layman's terms, refer to it as a group investment.
1: That's exactly. Right. And the other thing that's great about this business, whether it's multifamily or cannabis or really anything else, is that there's different ways that people can participate in this. And, and you just mentioned one of them, which is a passive investor. Passive investors have money, and a lot of them don't have the time or don't have any interest and learning the actual asset class, right? So as a passive investor, once you find someone that you're comfortable with, you can just keep investing with them. And the end result is exactly the same, which is passive income and long-term wealth. And again, even the high income earner, uh, eventually doesn't want to be the partner of the law firm anymore, right? So the result is the same. Uh, The other class, frankly, is, and we've been using more and more of those people, is this class of money raisers, right? So if you gravitate towards the money raising side, You can actually raise money on behalf of what you guys do, right? You can work those people into the general partnership, and we've been working with them as well. So as a money raiser, you can accumulate significant equity as well. And of course, you can be the quote operator or syndicator as well. So there's like at least three different ways people can get started in in this business.
0: Are you referring to a sub syndication? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a sub syndication. It's not quite as formal as that. A sub syndication technically is where someone actually... Creates a almost like a, they have their own syndication through a private placement memorandum and they write you a single check. But it is essentially sub syndication where let's say three of you partners get together, you and two other guys, and the three of you guys are out there raising money. And essentially that's what it is. And so every partner has their own set of investors and they all bring their set of their network investors into the partnership.
0: Got it. Okay. So let's just talk about finding deals. How do you find your deals? Any tips? I'm curious how you find your deals, but. Especially today, because cap rates have been compressed in the multifamily and apartment space. So it's it's become harder and harder to find actually good deals. But they're still out there, especially if you have good broker relationships. How are you finding your deals and what suggestions would you give to other people?
1: Well, you just said a key point good broker relationships. And that really is the answer to your question. And the larger question is well, how do you get good broker relationships? Now, the truth is that people are doing deals right now, and it is arguably more difficult. Than say in 2009, you know, when everything was for sale and no one was buying. The truth is, though, most of the time, people who are doing deals are they're hustlers, right? I mean, they're out there talking to people, making phone calls, making visiting, building relationships, and then surprisingly, these people end up doing a deal. And the people who don't do deals, they make two offers, and they're like, "Oh, they didn't accept my offer. It, it must not work, or maybe it's me." And just with any real estate, no matter what you do. It's all a numbers game. So if you don't play the numbers game, if you don't make 100 offers, you make two offers, well, your probability of actually getting a deal is very low. And just like it is in a single family house, same thing in a multifamily. So if you want to do deals on multifamily, you're going to have to hustle. You have to make offers. You're going to have to take your brokers out to lunch. But the magic happens when you do that and you provide, you get a deal from a broker and you provide feedback within 24 to 48 hours. Hey, this deal doesn't work for me. Here's what would and here's why. And you meet them once or twice in person. What then happens is these brokers start calling you before everybody else. These are these pocket lists, these off-market listings. These, and that's really where the magic happens. And that's how people do the deal is to relationships. And then what happens is when you do your first deal, and the first deal is always the hardest to do. It takes the longest. It tends to be the smallest. But once the cat is out of the bag that you're actually doing deals, now people come to you. You become this magnet. Brokers start calling you. Investors start calling you. And so this is why doing your second and third and fourth deal is much, 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 much easier than doing your first deal, which is really why I focus all of my resources on helping people do their first deal, because the second and third follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. And I call that the law of the first deal. I talk a lot about it in the book, because that phenomenon is so universal. And it really simplifies the whole prospect of, hey, how do you become financially free? Oh, you don't need 500 units to do that. Just focus on one. Let me tell you what. Why don't you focus on buying a duplex? Because if I can help you do that, the second and third will come and within one or two years you'll have replaced your income.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that law is pretty universal because we find even with us and working with our clients on purchasing single families, duplexes, fourplexes, that when we first engage with them, that first sale, that first investment that they purchase, it takes the longest amount of time. There's a lot of back and forth on the phone and via email and, and they're educating themselves, we're educating them. But the second one much faster, third one, it almost feels like there's no communication with them because it's so minimal, so yeah. I completely believe that now, in your book, you talk about i mean, I find this a little hard to believe, but at least as a seasoned person, but you say that you can do an analysis on a multifamily unit in ten minutes or less. I, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know essentially you're talking about doing it in ten minutes. So how is that possible? Maybe explain that to our listeners,
1: yeah, so basically. Let me just say, when I first started this thing in 2007, it took me four hours to make an offer, and it's because I didn't have the tools we have today, which is a syndicated deal analyzer, and it's this analysis tool. And number two, we didn't have the technique around that. And so the truth is, you know, what I would do is I would take an, an itemize, I would take this marketing package, itemize all the expenses, I would make some phone calls, I would do some research on the internet, and then I would try to produce an offer price or the max allowable offer. When the truth is, you don't need to do any of that because you don't even know how motivated the other person is. Because invariably, you will come up with an offer price that is lower than the asking. Let's say it's 10% lower, just for grins, right? And so you finally, after four hours of work, you say, oh, my gosh, you're asking $1.8 million, but I'm offering $1.5. And there's crickets, right? Nothing. Well, obviously, you just missed the mark by a mile because the seller is expecting asking price, or worse yet, they're getting offers at or below or above asking price. You just wasted four hours of your life. So what we do with a 10-minute offer is we use that cap rate you know that, that we talked about earlier. We use that net operating income and the cap rate and some rules of thumb, right? So in simple terms, and I do not want to confuse the listener here, but in very simple terms, you take the income and there's normally a vacancy factor. And a lot of marketing packages will say, oh, there's a 5% vacancy. Well, the truth is more like 10%. So you adjust the income. Now, expenses, the expenses are always underreported. And let's say it's 30%, 38% of the income. Well. The truth is that the actual expenses are about half. So 50% of the actual income is the expenses. So again, you adjust the expenses. And then now you have an adjusted net operating income, and then you apply the cap rate to that, and you get a a modified fair market value for that. And that's essentially a 10-minute offer in, in a nutshell. And when you get a response from the broker says, well, okay, why don't you put something in writing? Or what did you have in mind? In other words, you're being asked to make a more formal offer. At that point, you can now get into it and spend a few hours using a tool like the syndicated deal analyzer to actually now hone your offer. But very few times, are you actually, you get a response or a counter offer or something like that. And that's really the secret behind the 10-minute offer.
0: Okay. Comment on your book. Who's your book for? Why'd you write it? It's a new book, right? It just came out not too long ago.
1: Yeah. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And it's really for anyone who's on a journey like I was for financial freedom and they're thinking in their mind, hey, I'm going to use real estate to do it. Most people are thinking single-family houses. And single-family house, look, buying a single-family house one per year is a great 10-year retirement plan. Some people want to accelerate that. And I found that with multifamily, you can accelerate it one, two, three years, you can actually replace your expenses. And again, it's by focusing on the law of the first deal and focusing on your first deal to kind of get started. So what's exciting to me is that and I have a lot of case studies in a book because a lot of people say, oh, impossible." I can I can cover my living expenses in one year. And we have a lot of case studies in a book that show how people have done it. And that phenomenon is, in fact, so universal. This is why I kind of came up with a name for it. That's really why I wrote it, because my journey to financial freedom was very rocky, it involved losing a couple million dollars and slowly clawing my way back versus people who have done it much, much, much faster and much more direct route. And so after studying that through my podcast and educational program, it became very, very encouraging that these things are possible. And not only that, but we actually have a roadmap. So I spent about a third of the book, especially addressing that this actually is possible. Yes, you can overcome your lack of experience or lack of money. And then I will show you actually how to do your first deal. But I can't do that unless I have you <laughs> agreeing with me. Hey, my gosh, this is actually is possible. And then once I got you on board, I will kind of show you how to do it.
0: Okay. So in wrapping up, Michael, um, and this is kind of a soft question for you here. I'm teeing you up for it because I, I think I know what you're going to say, but tell us what the one thing people should do to become successful.
1: I think it's I uh, I don't know if you knew what I'm going to say. It's really fundamental. I think, I think people should become very clear about what they want. And so what I mean by that is people go to real estate investor meetings every month. And the reason they're there is because, well, they want to quit their job with real estate. Uh, But sometimes we're really not clear what that means. For example, in my mind, so many people other, I associated financial freedom with becoming a real estate investor. And that may not always be the same because, for example, if I do build up a portfolio of 20, 50 rentals, it may take me a while and it may be a lot of work. And I came to the realization that it's not passive enough, right? And so I achieved my goal to become a real estate investor, but I didn't actually achieve my goal of financial freedom. So it's like this ladder. I'm running up this ladder and I'm, I'm running really fast and I get to the top of it and I go, Ooh, I'm at the top of the ladder and then I discover the ladder's up against the wrong wall. And I just encourage you people to keep their minds open. And like you said before the call, there's so many different ways you can actually make money. And it's not one thing is better than the other. And it may be mobile home parks for one, it may be single family house flipping for the other. Just make sure that you approach it with the right motivation. In other words, is the strategy I'm doing aligned with what I want? And in my case, Course, the answer is multifamily. That might not be the, the case for everybody. Have an open mind. I think a lot of people dismiss multifamily because of what they think they know about it. And so I guess my call to action is really take a look at it. Take a look at the book and see if that's something that might be for you.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we were talking briefly before we started recording here. And I made the comment that there's 101 ways to make money in real estate. And I think you and I both agree that having buy and hold passive income rentals, be it a portfolio of single families, duplexes, fourplexes, or just multiple units within apartment buildings, will all get you to the same destination, which is passive income for financial freedom, which ultimately leads to time freedom. And there's really no right or wrong way to do it. We have a client, actually, I interviewed him. It was episode 97. A client of ours started from zero four years ago when he started working with us. And today he has over 35 rentals. So he built up 35 plus rentals in four years. He's making over 10000 a month passive income. How did he do it? It was through single families, duplexes, and fourplexes. I also know people who have become very successful, like yourself, through apartment buildings, through multi-unit properties. So I think you got to be comfortable with it. Not everybody's going to like single family homes. Not everybody's going to like apartments. But they're all tried and true vehicles to help you achieve those financial goals. And I think you and I have both experienced that in different ways, but we also know a lot of people who are living the dream and doing what they want to do and accomplishing their goals, and they've picked the way, the path, the vehicle that they want to do it with. And so for me, the answer to that question, the thing that people should do to become successful always starts with what's between your ears, and that's educating yourself, building confidence, building up your competence, and then taking action on it. And I think a lot of that resonates with you and what you're talking about in terms of educating yourself, setting your goals, and then taking action, learning what you need to learn and working with the right people, surrounding yourself with the right team. So I think there's a lot of overlap and commonality in the beliefs that successful people have that invest in real estate, yourself, ourselves, et cetera. So that all makes sense. Michael, anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? And then you can give out your contact information and your book information after that.
1: Yeah, no, I just really appreciate what you're doing because uh, the education you're providing to passive investors is key. And especially if you're a passive investor, there are so many great investments. You mentioned uh, cannabis opportunity, turnkeys, things of that nature, and multifamilies is another asset class. There's others. And I think a a well-rounded passive investor does tend to, or should tend to diversify their investments. So the more different asset classes someone can get educated about, I think the better. So I appreciate what you're doing for the past investors because there was a lot of miseducation out there, a lot of misinformation as well. So, yeah, appreciate you bringing on the multifamily aspect of it.
0: Yeah, it's good to expose people to the different options that are out there and the different avenues that they can take to get to where they want to get to because it's not one size fits all. We both know that some people will build a large portfolio of multi unit properties, and other people will just happily build a portfolio of single families and duplexes, and they both work. It's just what feels comfortable to you. What do you understand? What speed do you want to get there at? Et cetera, et cetera. So, Michael, you know, tell our listeners how they can find you, your website, where can they find your book, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so you can find me just to type in apartment building investing in Google. I should be on that first page. The website is themichaelblank.com. That's T-H-E, Michael, and then Blanc is B-L-A-N-K. The book is on Amazon. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's a bright yellow book. And those are some different ways that people can find me.
0: Great. Awesome. Michael, I appreciate you taking the time today to speak with our listeners and thank you for coming on. Thank you,
1: Mark, for having me. I really appreciate it. Having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the US. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at Noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.